Hello, everyone. I'm Giles. I'm Emily. And I'm Michelle. And we're the Beyond the Trope podcast. Every week, we delve into topics like pop culture, fiction writing, and other nerdy things. We feature laid-back conversations, bad puns, and in-depth interviews with authors, comic creators, and more. Find our show at beyondthetrope.com. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 173. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I've got Bob Bell. And Bob Bell is one of those people that I am just so thrilled to have met. I met Bob through the second Mile High 100 event. You've heard me talk about Mile High 100 on here, and it's this nonprofit thing that I do, which we get 100 people together, and everyone pledges to donate 100 bucks. We get together once a quarter, we have beers, and we listen to pitches from three different nonprofits. All of those nonprofits are nominated by our members. If you've donated and you are a member in good standing, then you have the ability to nominate a nonprofit. A good friend of mine, Will Matthews, who has also been on this show, I want to say he was early on. He was like episode six or something. He nominated Food for Thought Denver. And so as part of my role in Mile High 100, I reach out to and I coordinate the nonprofits and I prep them for their presentations. I tell them, you know, you have five minutes. There's no PowerPoint. There's no video. And as I'm talking to Bob, and this comes up in the episode, one of the things he says to me, he's like, I think this is an amazing concept. We will be thrilled to participate. And even if it's just for your hundred bucks, if it's just you and your co-founder, and that's 200 bucks, that's 50 meals that I can provide for a kid. Now, when I say provide for a kid, here's what I mean. Food for Thought is a backpack program, meaning they go to schools with high populations of free and reduced lunch, and a lot of these kids don't get anything to eat from Friday at lunch until Monday at breakfast. They, they have a lot of food anxiety. They're their parents are maybe struggling to meet rent or, you know, pay the power bill or whatever. And so what they do is they put together bags of food and they deliver them to schools for kids who need them. And on this show, we talk about how Food for Thought started. It's no surprise that Bob was a Rotarian. If you don't know anything about Rotary, Rotary is just a tremendous organization. There's chapters all across the city, all across the state, all across the country. And we talk about the origin of Rotary a little bit in this show as well. And they started with two schools. Food for Thought is now doing 26 schools. And what I tell Bob is I'm embarrassed that I've never actually participated in one of these events. And I make a promise at the end of this episode that says I will come down next Friday. So I recorded this on a Tuesday. I will come down on Friday and I will participate. Well, lo and behold, I did not keep that promise because my three-year-old daughter was nice enough to give me the stomach flu. I ended up throwing up all Thursday, was feeling like death on Friday, did not make it. But I did make it the following Friday. So if you go to the companion blog piece, that's at johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us, you'll find a picture of me and Bob. That photo was taken at 5.35 in the morning. They get started about 5.15, 5.30, and they go until all the food is packed and all the food is delivered. 
And what was remarkable about doing this event was I showed up and was immediately put to work. You're pulling bins of food out of these storage containers. You're getting them stacked up. You're loading them into trucks. And then more people come in and they pack the food for next week. And in the process of doing this, the truck's all loaded. A guy I've never met comes up to me. His name is Mirov. And he says, hey, can you come with us and deliver this food to the schools? And I go, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? So I hopped in a car with three dudes I'd never met before, one named Mirov, one named John, and one named Dalton. And Mirov and John knew each other, but Dalton and I, it was both our first time. And we went to the school, and we unloaded these bins. We delivered them to the classrooms, and it was amazing. And I will also tell you this. It is a labor-intensive day. I was sore when I was done with this because these bins are like 75 pounds each. You put them on like a, uh, like a hand truck or a dolly or whatever, and you stack them three or four high. So, I mean, we're talking two to 300 pounds and you're moving them around, it's tiring. It's exhausting. But you feel amazing having done this. And when you see some of the pictures that I post from Food for Thought on the companion blog piece, it's like an active bee colony. There's just people moving around, and there's music going. When I showed up, I also talked to Bob about this. I'm like, if you play some punk rock, you can guarantee I'll be there. To me, that's like a siren song. And if I hear it just playing in the city, I'll probably show up. So when I rolled up that morning... It's 5.30 in the morning. The song that's playing is I'm Not Okay, I Promise by My Chemical Romance. It's one of my favorite songs. It's off this great album called Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. And I love that song. So I go, yep, I'm in the right place. Bob is an amazing dude. He is humble almost to a fault with this program because I think he deserves a ton of credit for starting it. But for him, it's not about ego. It's not about vanity. It's not about glory. It's about doing the work and making sure all these kids have something to eat over the weekend and just servicing communities that need them. So this is a tremendous episode. This episode is an example of the exact type of show that I want to do. So I'm proud to bring it to you. We'll bring it to you in just a second. But first, just a quick word. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher, please do so. Getting subscriptions, for whatever reason, helps the show move up. It helps its visibility. It helps the iTunes algorithm. So go to iTunes or Stitcher. Just type in John of All Trades. Hit that subscribe button. New episodes will come directly to you. Those episodes come on Wednesdays, and we tease them on Mondays. The only place to find those teasers is on Facebook. So like John of All Trades on Facebook. It's J-O-A-T pod. And as long as you are hitting that subscribe button, take a couple seconds, leave us a rating. Hopefully it's five stars. And leave us a review. Say a few kind words about John of All Trades. Again, that helps us move up. But that's all the plugage I'm going to do here at the front end, except for Food for Thought. Check out Food for Thought on the web, foodforthoughtdenver.org, and get involved. Just show up down there. Someone will put you to work. There's plenty of things to do. They're there, I think, 36 weeks out of the year. It's every Friday morning. And get involved. Make a difference for some kids. But first... Learn more about Food for Thought on this week's episode. It is number 173. Bob Bell is one of the co-founders, and his episode starts right now. Well, Tuesday we are actually uh, ordering food for Food for Thought and um, getting uh, getting the week prepped for... Uh, delivery, pickup and delivery on Thursday and packing on Friday. Okay. Is that pretty much every week? Tuesday is the order day? Yeah, it actually is. So on Mondays, we uh, we formulate the numbers. Janice uh, 
kind of keeps track of all the schools and all the enrollments for right. that given day. Uh, I'm sorry for that given week coming up. And then uh, she uh, she sends it out to our our friends that do the purchasing. And Tuesdays when the orders start to okay. come across, so we can see what we're what we're feeding up this week. Yeah, and so I'm interested because I mean this is you do this every week, right? Yep, 36 weeks every week that the kids are in school. Of the school year, we're doing it. Okay. Uh, and how much of your time is taken? Because what people may not know is that you do have a day job. Um, you don't like to advertise that necessarily, but how much of your week is dedicated to doing this endeavor? You know, John, I, I, I wish I could tell you I keep track of it. It's funny you ask. We were just uh, we're writing some grants, and we were asked to calculate what, what the hours that are donated in kind and you know, it's really hard to say, uh, right. A, because we're very refined at doing it now, and B, everybody that's in Food for Thought has a day job, mm, so sure. everybody's doing their part. For my part, you know, a lot of my work now, um, you know, Janice probably spends in my office 15 hours a week just keeping everything on the rails. My part primarily now is obviously the Friday effort, yeah. but mainly going out just telling the Food for Thought story to companies and organizations sure. to try to drum up support. Ooh. So, you know, probably I probably spend 10 to 15 hours a week as well. That's like, I mean, that's that's a full on part time gig. It's full on labor of love gig. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Bob Bell. You are the what's your title at Food for Thought? Do you take a title? Uh, they always want to call me the executive director, and I despise that term because, okay. again, because I, I think that has a connotation that is the furthest thing from me. I'm I'm the co-founder okay. of the organization, and that's about where it sits with me. All right. And how long have you been at this now? We are six years and two months into Food for Thought. Six years and two months. Okay. I always am interested in the journey, and I like to go back. Yep. First of all, tell me what compelled you to start this because – it, you know, I, I know you don't want to make a big deal of this, but you seem to be a pretty successful real estate guy. Yep. And it's it's not everyone who's going to take 10 to 15 hours a week to do this for no money. Um, so what compelled you to start it? And then take me through the, the early sort of days of Food for Thought. Yeah, it's really kind of a uh, an interesting story. Um, you noted a, a couple minutes ago that I'm a Rotarian, so... I've been a Rotarian since 1991. Well, yeah, it was funny. The mailman came in and dropped <laughs> off this Rotarian magazine, and I go, of course you're a Rotarian. <laughs> so so uh, I was actually a founding member of a Rotary Club up in Arvada, and they okay. were doing a like program or facilitating a like program. And their effort in that equation was working on a backpack program. Backpack program is nothing new. Right. It's been around the country since the 70s. And my job in facilitating that effort for my Rotary Club was to pick up the food at the Arvada Food Bank because I have a pickup truck. Right. So, you know, this went on for a year or so, me picking up the food, dropping it at a school and not really thinking about what I was really doing that for, what the outcomes were of it. You're just and kind of doing it. I was just doing my part, you know, just, just doing my part of it. And um, the lady at the food bank, a lady named Mary Ross, just incessantly tapped me on the shoulder for a year and said, you're better than this. <laughs> and I finally just stopped her and said, what is it that you want me to do? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> better than what? And she said, there's, you know, all these kids in the Denver public school systems are experiencing this same 
problem of not having food in their home on the weekend, and no one's doing anything about it. And in Jefferson County, there's like 17 schools and like 17 service clubs or organizations mm-hmm. covering. They've got that county covered like a blanket. And I'm a Jeffco kid. I actually grew up here. Um, wow. So I'm Golden High School graduate. Yeah, and I'm a Denver guy and, right. you know, a North Denver graduate. Oh, cool. All right. So, so when she said that to me, it resonated with me. And concurrently, I met a teacher uh, on a bar stool at my brother's bar, a lady named Tracy Toll, who was a special ed teacher. And I just asked her that question at Columbian Elementary yeah. at 40th and Federal. Is it true that the bulk of your kids are coming to school on Monday having not a certain meal yeah. in their home? And the stories she told me just knock you off that bar stool. Well, what, what kind of stories would she tell you? Well, kids coming to school, well, starting off Friday. I mean, the last thing they really counted on was their hot lunch on Friday. Mm-hmm. So the end of the day for a lot of those kids was, hey, Miss Toll, do you have any, you know, every teacher has the magic desk drawer full of granola bars and snacks mm-hmm. for them to take home. Those kids going to the cafeteria, knocking on that door, you know, hoping to get something to take home, leftover from lunch, what have you. Um, and then, you know, for the small percent that that helped the large percent didn't have much so coming back to school on monday largely not having had a good meal so you can imagine the social integration problems coming to school tired coming to school hungry not being able to buckle down and learn till at least they got in most cases that free breakfast that comes around 9 30 in the morning so you know a definite stall to their ability to engage in their school week wow okay so as she's telling you that you're better than this and you know, so you gain some insight, you're talking to the special ed teacher, what steps then followed to creation of food for thought? Well, it was a bit of a panic quite honestly, because you know, good luck hearing something like that and being able <laughs> and to forgetting sleep it, yeah. yeah, and good be able to go to sleep at night thinking about it. So I grabbed a, uh, a good friend of mine and fellow Rotarian, a guy named John Thielen and said, look, if this is, he's a North Denver guy as well. I said, if this is possibly true, John, there's got to be something we can do about it. So he agreed, thankfully. And um, we had been doing a lot of the fundraising for our Rotary Club, so we felt bold enough to go to them and say, we're going to start this thing in Denver. We mm-hmm. need 30000 bucks to do it. Wow. And the club said, knock yourself out. Here's the money. And they <laughs> gave us thirty grand and said, you know. Go make a difference, which is what Rotary is about. Yeah, and that's a dynamite Rotary Club that has $30,000. Yep, we worked hard to get it, and you are right. Um, and because I know that I, I've done a lot of public speaking, and you reach out to you know service-based organizations, Rotary, Kiwanis, Lions. Yep. Um, and you've got what, – what's unfortunate is you've got an aging sort of population there. And, you know, a lot of these clubs were founded post-World War II after some of the outreach work that the soldiers did in Europe. And so coming back here, they said, we have to replicate this in America. And unfortunately, that message has not carried forth to younger generations as much as I think probably they would hope. Yeah, it's, it's you are 110% accurate. We were very fortunate, but we'd also re- worked really hard to do that because, you know, between John and I and quite honestly, all the members of our club, we weren't check writers and we weren't wanting to do something like Rotary without, you know, having a purpose. And to be purposeful, you had to have enough financial resources to do it. So we were very fortunate that they would give us that that grant, if you will. So that became um, that became it. Once we had the uh, once we had the money, it was okay, let's put up or shut up time. So we um, 
we knew enough to know that we had to partner with the Food Bank of the Rockies, so that was step one, yeah. was to become a partner agency, which is, is a relatively simple process, but meaningful in that you've got to go through their steps, um, prove your financial ability to do what your target market is, um, the food safety, the processes that, right. that allow you to come to agency. Um, if you don't know much about Food Bank of the Rockies, they're an amazing organization. Um, if it weren't for them, you know, all the yahoos like us couldn't exist because they give you the ability to buy in bulk things yeah. that you could never afford to do for these kids if you had to buy it at retail. Right. So that, that initial $30,000 was that going towards uh, pretty much just buying food, right? That's all we had. We didn't have one thing but $30,000 and the, and the want to do it, right? right? So it's all it went to, John, was uh, to buying the food. So we knew, you know, we calculated that we started uh, Food for Thought on St. Patrick's Day in 2012. It was the first Friday we, we did our program. And we knew we could get through March, April, and May okay. on that money, uh, A, to see if we had you know, the intestinal fortitude to keep it up and if there was a need for it at the school level. So it was kind of our pilot program in those yeah. two schools to get it off the ground. So for those three months, how many students or how many schools were you servicing? We started with two schools, Columbian and Fairview, which tallied about 500 kids. Oh, my. 500 kids out of how many enrollment? That was every kid. That was every kid? Yep. So the magic of Food for Thought is really two things. One is that we don't have a dime of overhead in the program. Right. Then we don't have a dime of overhead today. Everybody that lends a hand does it, you know, because their heart wants to do it. And secondly, most backpack programs are opt-in in nature. So they'll go to a high-poverty demographic school, but they will make the kids, quote-unquote, prove the need, and we think, now we thought then that was absurd. We know what their income level is. Right. So when we go to a school, we target only a high free and reduced population schools mm-hmm. and we feed every kid in the school. Wow. And when you started this at these schools, what was the response? Well, the, the response at those two schools is much the same as it is any school you go to today. When you sit down and we work just at the administrative level, we simply knock on the principal's door and say, Hey, I'm Bob. Hey, I'm John. Um, here's what we do. And it's usually followed by two or three questions and then some free flowing tears because, you know, they know, they know they're the front line of seeing what these kids deal with. And the fact that, you know, this community will rally up and come to them and bring those kids food and really at, uh, they need to do nothing to supplement this happening in their school. So to say it was welcomed with open arms would be an understatement. Wow. Okay. So you had enough money to get through about three months. Yep. And then from there, I'm assuming you had to do some sort of fundraising drive at that point. And you're almost pivoting your skill set in that regard. It's like, okay, we're delivering food. That's one thing. And, you know, we're, we've established a partnership. I'm assuming you had to go through Secretary of State, establish a C3. You know, luckily we, we ran under our Rotary Club's 501c3 oh, cool. right. initially, and that quite actually ran that way for the first four years. And you're right. I mean, we didn't really have a fundraiser at that point. We just went about knocking on doors and telling people what we were doing and why. 
what, to, like average citizens or companies or what? Yeah, all the above. I mean, it, we built this thing four bucks a bag. Yeah. So, you know, you can do the math to say how far that 30 gram went, got us down the road a pretty good chunk. And then uh, we just started making, you know, cold calls, if you will, on corporate America mm-hmm. and, you know, leaning on a lot of our personal business acquaintances, personal acquaintances, rotary friends to say, you know, what kind of companies that you know might have a philanthropic heart that would help us along. Right. What? what where are the entry points that we're not aware of? Yeah, and it's exactly right. That's just just give us a chance. Just give us right. a door to knock on, and that's where we'll show up. Yeah, I well, I remember four bucks a bag was when I reached out to you through Mile High One Hundred. You were nominated by, and we got to give a shout out to Will Matthews here. Yes, we do. Um, Will nominated you for the second Mile High One Hundred meeting, and I talked to you and I explained the concept. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a hundred people. We get everyone gives a hundred bucks, and you said, even if it's just your hundred bucks, I will be there. And I thought, wow. Um, and your value proposition of we have no overhead, we have no we have no paid staff, four bucks a bag, each of yours will go directly to these kids. I'm like, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of a value proposition, um, are there? I'm assuming there are other organizations like this. Um, and it it feels crass to view it as competition. But what is your interaction with? other organizations doing something similar? There are a lot of them, thankfully, because the need is much greater than food for thought. I think, you know, arguably we're probably the largest provider to the largest segment of the population. Mm. I mean, our interaction is just one of, man, how can we help each other do this? Yeah. So, I mean, our model is, just as you said, it's, it's, it's a unique proposition because not many people can say they can run it without any overhead. Right, yeah. But, you know, we just insist on it. And you just learn to draw a hard line and say, if if we have to pay for it, then we don't need it. Mm. And, you know, we had a lot of people over the years tell us, you're going to have to get a building, you're going to have to get a truck, you're going to have to get X, Y, and Z, you're going to have to hire a professional fundraiser. And None we, of that's been true? It just motivates us even more to say, no, we don't. And, you know, we've gone now from two schools to 26 schools, 500 kids to 8,200 kids. 8,200 kids. 8,200 kids that we serve. Well, we do the math, 16,000 bags every month for 36 weeks of the year. And we don't need to pay anybody to do anything. Well, logistically, and I'm embarrassed that I haven't been down to one of these operations, what does the operation look like when you're delivering it? How do you get all this donated? Like logistically, I'm just interested in <laughs> that scope. How does that manifest? Well, back you know, back in 2012, a lot of it ran in the back of that white pickup that's sitting out front. But obviously, it's graduated you know way beyond that now. So sure. how it looks today, and I can't wait for you to come down there. Yeah, uh, how it looks today is you know partners like Elite Logistics Transportation mm-hmm. Company that lends us a 53-foot semi every single Thursday that arrives at the food bank, picks up 20 to 30 pallets, 30,000 pounds of food, drives it down around the town, drops the pallets at our packing locations, of which are now five, um, drops that off. We have a donated forklift from the food bank of the Rockies that two or three of us operate each Thursday. We put all the food down under the bridge. We've got a ravenous 
population of volunteers that descend under the bridge so we don't have a building. How we, many? Uh, well, every week we engage about 175 volunteers Jeez. to pack the bags. Uh, we work under the Colfax Viaduct um, thanks to our partnership with Metropolitan State University and Auraria Higher Education. They give us a a parking lot, I guess, under the bridge yeah. um, where we've put in some donated Connex storage units. That's our our quote-unquote warehouse, <laughs> and um, a bunch of Rubbermaid tables and a bunch of donated um, bags, and wow. we pack the food. Jeez, how long does that take? Well, the volunteers arrive. We have kind of a staging group of volunteers. They start arriving about 5.15 in the morning on Fridays. Wow. And normally people are getting in their cars at 8.45. It's done. Jeez. And then we've got some trucks, to your to your point. We have some trucks that are on the road probably till 10 or 11 in the morning because every kid, every school, every classroom has a bag waiting for them at 3.30 that afternoon. Wow, Bob. That is, first of all, I grew up loving punk rock. And what what you've created is this total <laughs> punk rock thing, you know. It's like we don't we don't need the system, so to speak, you know. Right. We, like we we make this happen just through this this awesome community of DIY folks. But you've got it running like a, like a very almost slick manufacturing operation, which is crazy. It's like this marriage of DIY, like punk rock, like pull yourself <laughs> up by your bootstraps, but with like very efficient processes. That's remarkable. Yeah, it's efficient and it's, it's mainly, it's, it's just passion. What you find yeah. out at the end of the day is, and much like sitting across the table from you and somebody like you calls and says, we're going to make some magic happen for these kids. We're going to try. Right. And you did. <laughs> you right. did. Right. I mean, and I can look you in the eyes and say every dollar that Mile High 100 gave to us, we have purchased food with. That's wow. it. So it's just, it just has landed on people who really think it's crazy that little kids don't have enough food. So, you know, the more you tell the story, the more people you engage. So it's, it's gone way beyond me. It's gone way beyond John. It, there is no ownership of food for thought. It is just a movement of people that we, uh, well, I mean, I've not heard a punk rock analogy and I'm going to use it from here forward. (laughs) It's near and dear to my heart. So I mean, it's, it's like, it's the culture we live in, right? I mean, mile high 100 is sort of like my friend Braden comes to me and he says, I've got this idea. We're borrowing this idea. Like mile high 100 is not new, you know, it's based off a hundred men who give a damn or a hundred women who care. Um, but it's like, how can we apply it in Denver? And like, Doing something is always preferable to not doing something. Yes. And so if you have an idea, everyone's got ideas. It's just taking the steps to make them happen that will separate you from 90% of the people out there. Yeah. And I think if you're much like you, your operation, if you're just completely egoless in the equation and, and don't allow it to become bigger than what it is, just let everyone that comes down there take ownership of it there's rarely a friday that two really cool things don't happen that someone doesn't say to me hey why aren't you doing it this way and i say well because i'm not that bright that's a great idea from (laughs) now on we will do it that way and it's it lets it morph every week into being just what you described as more of a fine-tuned machine yeah and the other end of it at the end of that day at 8 40 in the morning there's also rarely a day when a young man or a young woman doesn't come up to me and say, I was that kid. If it, you know, you're oh, on yeah. the right track. If it weren't for an organization like this, 
I wouldn't be down here doing what I'm doing. Right. Or they say, I wish there had been something like this when I was growing up. Right. And that, you know, that's what just keeps the fire in you to say, we're on the right track here. Yeah, absolutely. When I was, uh, I used to manage the charitable giving portfolio for, uh, for a large company. It was my corporate gig. And so I got pitches every day and you become very keen to weed out the sort of people who are doing it vaingloriously yes. versus those just sort of doing it. And I'm amazed that I never got a pitch from you guys. Um, and had we, I'm sure we would have been in because I was the tip of the spear at that point. Yep. And I guess, I mean, that's one of our sexy shortcomings is, you know, a lot of people say that to me is, have you been to, have you been to? And the truth is, John, we don't have a lot of time to go right. do this. So we just, we, we take the low hanging fruit, if you will, mm-hmm. the people that come to us and say, Hey, get over here and tell us about it. But as far as actually being compelled to go a lot of places, we're just trying to find our way right. to do it. And we're, we're getting, big enough now and bold enough now that we're asking for more help to find find those tips of the spears right but you know we've got kind of a uh, a grassroot thread being woven through some industries specifically the real estate and construction and developer industries that have just really rallied around food for thought and mobilized a lot of cool things for us yeah one thing i'm curious about your take on is it's and without getting too political about this, but it's almost sad that this organization has to exist, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's a fundamental failing of the system to where you have to come in and fill that gap, right? Yes. Um, have you seen doing this work now for six and a half years, do you have sort of uh, an opinion on what might be a, a a systemic fix rather than just sort of like the goodness of people's hearts coming together uh, and, and filling in this gap for these kids with food anxiety. Yeah, I wish I did. It is so complicated and way, way beyond my pay grade. I mean, I've learned a lot just living in these schools a bit now. And, you know, I get asked that question a lot, like what is, what is the systemic piece and what, you know, what is the socioeconomic situations? And it's so diverse and, you know, again, it's not political and not, but not to sound too pompous, but, you know, the typical family structure that I grew up with is, is hard to find in these schools. Some of it's just, you know, parents that don't give a rip, but it's also parents that are doing probably more the case where parents are trying to work two or three jobs just to try to keep the landlord at bay. It's hard to right. believe that food becomes compromised in their equation, but food's almost a luxury. First right? is a luxury, and yeah. sometimes first is the rent, and then we'll try to figure it out on the food gigs. So, I don't know the answer. Um, I know early on in the process, you know, we found ourselves on the Peter Boyle show, and we were taking some gas about an article that was in the paper about really another bunch of do-gooders, you know, handing out freebies to these kids, and that's the last thing these kids need is you know another <laughs> handout. You know, what? And that is the truth. My buddy, John, my partner in this thing, woke me up in the morning and said, turn on the radio. You can't believe what they're saying. I'm like, yeah, you know, I I think they called us progressive do-gooders. And I'm not even sure what that means exactly. But what I can tell you now, six years in, is that it is the smallest thing, the food. But way beyond the food now, I mean, the food is there. But culturally now in those schools, and maybe this gets to your question a little bit, 
it is changing because those mm-hmm. kids, A, feel cared for. They're experiencing yeah. people like you and me in their lives. Um, and there's just some consistency there. Like they don't have to worry about food in their world because it's there. So it's yeah. just lets their brain go somewhere else because that little piece of the puzzle is solved for them. It yeah. may not be what we all wish they had in their houses to eat, but it's, it's making a difference. And again, the school, the teachers will tell you is just a different vibe in the school. Now it's different on Friday when all that food rolls in and it is different on Mondays. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, they know that, uh, okay, my weekend is going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's remarkable to me and tragic that, if you if you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that we're sort of on that bottom yes. level here. You guys are addressing that first level, which is personal safety, shelter, food. Yep. Um, and so when you're addressing the concerns about parents just trying to make rent, you know, okay, well we've got shelter, and then maybe like the heating bill. You know, I you I've worked with Energy Outreach Colorado a bunch, and a lot of folks are choosing between like heating and food costs, and you go, this is insane. Like, we're trying to have a society here. Yes. Um, and the fact that you were called progressive do-gooders, and I'm guessing as a pejorative. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> is uh, just a, a, a bad reflection of a, a certain subset of political ideology. Yes. Um, but that's, that's about all I'll say about that. Um, in terms of running this organization, what keeps you up at night about it? Uh, just, just the desire to finish it, you know, to get, to get across. I mean, we're in 26 schools, but just in DPS alone, there's over 50 schools in that same economic target. Wow. So, you know, we got a long way to go and that's daunting mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but you know, when we started we never dreamt, I'd say the word 26 in association with food for thought. So, you know, no doubt now we get there. So now it's just a matter of, you know, making, the finance, because I mean, our commitment to those schools is: look, if we ever add you as a as a food for thought school, mm-hmm. we ain't ever going away. Yeah, we're not dropping you. No, we're not dropping you. We can't do it. I mean, it was the first thing the principals told John and I was: look, seen guys like you before. You roll in here, you got thirty grand in your pocket, you got nine news cameras, you're the big man on campus. Two months later, you come in, you're like, wow, I thought that was going to work, but you know, I kind of yeah. ran out of dough. We ran out of energy. It's more work than I thought. Don't do that to these kids. I mean, that's the yeah. world these kids live in is just failed promise after failed promise. Don't be one of those people. Mm-hmm. So we won't be, you know, if we're financially solvent enough that, you know, if all the funds dried up today, we could sustain every school we have till we found some more dough. Wow. And, you know, that's the commitment to the school. We're not, we're not backing out of here. Wow. I, that's remarkable commitment. I'm mixing metaphors here quite a bit. We've covered a lot of ground <laughs> metaphorically. But uh, so you and John founded this. And if if we're looking at this like a military operation, you're you're sort of the two generals here. Like yep. you're 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 the top here. But w- without without the sort of vanity that that implies, have you brought on other lieutenants sort of where people have become almost more integrated into the system because with something this size and scope, it cannot just be the two of you. Oh no, it it is long gone past us. And we have, um, if there's a level above general, they're more important to the program than we are. Right. You know, from my staff here to our volunteer coordinator, Jeannie Larkins, who's been with us kind of day one, who, who, who really does make this a full-time job 
It is her avocation. Way beyond volunteer. She coordinates our grants. She, I don't care what comes across the plate. She's going to take the first swing at it. Um, and then literally an army of just amazing people. When you think about the crew it takes to load 500 bins that are 75 pounds a piece, put them in a truck and load them down there. Mm -hmm. And I've got a crew of 12 guys every Friday morning. I don't know most of their last names and that's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. And if you come down there, of those 150 people that are under the bridge, I don't know 30 of the last names because that's not what anybody's down there for. Right. And there's CEOs and there's admin and there's students, but everybody just wants to haul it. And I And I would submit the success of this is that it reaches, you know, the student, the millennial, the CEO – um, yeah. they're all on the same playing field and they're all equally important, um, in the army. Yeah. Uh, they are, there's, there's no, you know, it's that old adage. Don't ask anybody to do something you wouldn't do. Yeah. Everybody down there does everything it takes to get it done. That is an adage that I tend to live by because yes. what I do is in addition to hosting the show, uh, I also prep people for media engagements. So I have a training component to my business. And when you put them on camera and you're going to assess what they say and how they say it, I always tell them, I'm like, look, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I haven't done myself or that I am unwilling to do myself. And that tends to put them at ease. Yes. So what you're describing there with everyone from CEOs to you know first-year college students all working together doing the same thing, there's – you advance society in more ways than just by feeding hungry kids. Yes. So that's really cool. That's uh, that's a component I hadn't really thought of as it pertains to this, but it's a remarkable piece, Bob. And I would tell you, John, that for me personally, my insides, it's, it's awesome, the 8,000 kids. It's awesome, the food. It's awesome what's happening in the school. But what has happened to the subculture of volunteers, if you come down there, it is now a family. Yeah. I mean, they they will ask. So where's John? Somebody better check in on Mary. Um, they they care about each other in a way I could never have fathomed. And they've formed groups of friends that are out doing other volunteer activities right. away from Food for Thought because they all have that. They are it's the people they are, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, just the culture of the of the volunteer now um, has has been the re- most re- remarkable thing for me to experience. I think I can probably guess the answer to this one, but given that you're spending so much of your time with this, does it ever weigh you down? Are you ever sort of burned out by it? Not not one minute. Never. And it's because I think every week, and I, and I know this sounds weird, but it's never the same week by week. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some variable, something that happens, oftentimes something unexpected, but it changes it. And again, we work outside. So you're going to wake up and it's a windy day. You may wake up and it's snowing. You got people down there that forgot to wear socks and there's three inches of snow <laughs> under the bridge. And, you know, there's just so many different elements to it that it never gets old. Wow. And, you know, it, it's just a matter of meeting new people, as you said. Every week there's, you know, at least 50 people that have never been there before. And you watch them get turned on by it. And it just makes it, I can't wait for the next Friday kind of a thing. Yeah. Are you a natural extrovert? <laughs> oh, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> because what's funny is uh, I am a natural introvert, and I used to have a lot of social anxiety. And so I, I've told this story before, but I'd be at, at functions, 
like for, for my company or whatever. And I'd have to excuse myself and just go sob in the bathroom because I had so much social anxiety. Yeah. But what I found is if it's task oriented, if it's, you know, everyone's sort of working together and not just making small talk, if you're oriented towards a goal, it's much easier that way. So when you're describing having 150 people all down there together for someone who has, I'm largely over it, but has suffered from social anxiety, that could be very limiting, but, and, and sort of almost like a barrier to entry, you know, where you go, Ooh, I don't know. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of interaction. But when you actually like can do the work that really flattens out the playing field in that way. It does. And I, and I think there's a component of me in you. Like I don't, I don't want to just go out and be that guy all the time, but I know right. when it's showtime. Oh yeah. When it's time to be on. And I know I see that fear in some people's eyes yeah. and the good thing about it is a, they are there. So they've made half the step and B it is on when you come down there. There is no standing around at food for thought from mm-hmm. the minute you get there, the music is blaring and there's a job for you. And I don't care what you want your job to be, whether it's cutting up cardboard or stacking chips or hauling bins, there's a job for you. Okay. And you're instantly integrated and you're alongside somebody who's going to care about you. So you get the tunes going. Always. <laughs> who, Always. Who are you guys playing? I make the playlist every week, John. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your jam, Bob? <laughs> I, Everybody down there tells me that I have the most diverse, the most diverse musical taste they've ever heard. So it's rather eclectic. But um, obviously, uh, everybody gets to do a little bit of dancing on Friday morning. Are you making it for this week? <laughs> Where are you? In the- I haven't started that process yet, okay. I, I, but I will be. <laughs> who, who, uh, who played it? Who played last week? Oh, Lord. Um, because I'm a music guy too. From the Violent Femmes to Dave Matthews yeah. to you, you name it, it's uh, it's on my list. Well, you're gonna have to incorporate some or more punk rock now. <laughs> well, you know I'm gonna, you know I'm gonna be, you know I'm gonna be doing that this week. Yeah, when you do, <laughs> and when you do the so punk I rock, like Sex Pistols or whatever. Oh yeah, do yeah. some Clash. Clash, all right, um, yeah, gladly. You know, do do some uh, do some new stuff too. You know, get rancid in there and. Uh, Okay. There's a whole universe. So noted. So noted. But, uh, and you know, if, (laughs) if someone's playing punk rock out in the universe, I was out, uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday and, uh, Monday night was my wife's birthday and, uh, we were at this bar and there was a bar next door playing a punk band called Mill and Colin. And you know, we were at this real sort of like hipster upscale cocktail bar. And I said, is that Mill and Colin? The guy working the front door, he goes, yeah, next door, they have an eclectic taste. I go, no, that's right in my wheelhouse. So, if you so want, see you later. I'm over there. If you, <laughs> if you want to play some Mill and Colin in here, that's fine with me. But uh, so if you're playing that, I'll probably hear it and I'll just show up. And I'll you'll be, like, be there. You guys, what's going on down here? <laughs> then I'm going to play it because I want you to be down there. Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll be down there. Um, what's next for Food for Thought? As you grow, you know, you said you wanted to hit – all those 50 schools. You want it to be yep. able to hit as many schools as possible. What does the growth path look like? Yeah, I mean, that we're kind of at a critical juncture in, in Food for Thought right now because, you know, we, we made a couple of quantum leaps to get to 26, and now it's the planning of how we're going to do that next mm. phase, if you will. We did have the really good fortune. We, you know, of, of 26 schools, 25 are in Denver. We just added our first school in Aurora. Nice. Um, literally out of, uh, out of the crowd of volunteers on Friday morning, uh, a gentleman walked up to me and said, I want to do a school in Aurora. And of course I gave him the, oh, well, we're early in Denver. And he, he handed me a check for $10,000 and said, 
I want to do a school in Aurora. So um, that became the seed money to Elkhart Elementary in Aurora. And we are serving them for the third time this coming Friday. Highest poverty school we have, 642 kids. And because some guy just said, we should do this. And that's the beauty of the nimble organization that it is. So next steps are, let's see where that takes us down the Aurora line. Mm -hmm. Um, And then doing the logistical planning to figure out how many more schools that we can add, how many more sponsors we can get to support the financial piece of that, right? and how we can figure out the logistics to pack at those schools and get it done every Friday. Yeah, I, I don't imagine once someone is in this organization, once they've donated, once they've experienced it, that I, I can't imagine you have too many people who've left with a bad taste in their mouth. I don't know of one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard to fathom, given the way you're describing it, and given the sort of level of detail that you have off the top of your head. I mean, 642 students, you just said. <laughs> um, you just, you you know that. And I, I imagine I could ask you virtually for a number uh, of students in any of your given schools, and you'd probably know it. I get it damn close. <laughs> That's remarkable, Bob. Okay, so um, tell me. Where can people get involved? Where can people find out more about you, more about the organization? Because I, you know, I want to spread this as far and wide as I can. Once, once I talked to you the first time on Mile High 100, I said, "This, even if the, the two other nonprofits that you were presenting with were both terrific organizations, and at every one of our meetings, we've had people sort of who are like, I'm going to donate to all three, right. which is really cool, um, but." I remember thinking, I'm like, this one's really going to resonate because it is so like dialed in. The value proposition is right there. Yep. Like we know exactly where the money is going to go. In terms of that, where can people get more involved with you? Where can they find out more? Yeah, I mean, we again, we don't have much in the way of marketing departments. Um, we don't have one. You know, what we really have is in your back pocket, and it's your phone. Our social media platform. We got a couple of volunteers. Um, uh, Norden and Volume 9 that do a lot of work for us. They have built our presence on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter really beautifully. Mm-hmm. And that's where we gain most of our support or new supporters. And uh, Norden also put together our website, which is foodforthoughtdenver.org. And there kind of tells the whole story, I hope, because it's all we really got. Yeah. And it's got a donate button on there. And, you know, that's that's the place that takes the four bucks. Also lets you link in there to volunteer. So it's kind of a one-stop shop okay. if you want to get Just involved. Just right there on the social media yeah, page. It's, yeah, or, or at foodforthoughtdenver.org. But gotcha. well, you can link right through there from Facebook as well. Perfect. Um, and literally, I, I mean this sincerely. I mean, it's four bucks at a time. You know, we're not we're not a hard sell deal. We know what four bucks means to those kids, and that's that's what we're after. But more importantly, we just ask after people, and that's why someone like you walking in here is so awesome for us because it's the way we spread the word. And yeah. the more the word gets out there, the more the more kids we can add. Well, this is exactly the kind of work I want to highlight on the show. Yeah, uh, this is what the show is all about. And okay, I'm going to put this. This episode is going to go up uh, in a week or two, and I, I, awesome. can't, I don't know the exact date. But I will tell you, this Friday, I will be down there. Okay? I'm going to make that, that commitment. That makes my day. I'm going to, <laughs> and I'm going to hold you to the punk rock thing, too. <laughs> oh, I'll be ready for you. So, okay. Um, I'm going to make it happen. Um, and so there will be photos 
with this episode of me and you yeah. down there, that's where we're going to take the photo. We're not, still we're recording this in your office of your day yeah. job, but I take a photo with every one of my guests. I will be down there. We'll take the photo down there, um, and you're going to hold me to it. So yes, I will. We will be dancing to a little bit of something. That sounds good, Bob. All right. Well, <laughs> I it's been a pleasure getting to be in your orbit, and I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. That wraps up episode 173 of the John of All Trades podcast featuring Bob Bell, one of the co-founders of Food for Thought Denver. Congrats to them for recently winning Small Nonprofit of the Year at the Business Awards hosted by the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. Well-deserved. You guys are doing great work. And get involved with them, foodforthoughtdenver.org. They can always use your help, whether that's monetarily or whether that's you showing up on Friday to pack some food and give it to some kids who need it. John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. We are coming up on campaign season, which means if you have a message that you need to get out, 4Degrees can help you get it in front of the audience needs to see it most. Whether that's a product, a service, a candidate, or any other type of campaign, they will get you on the platforms where people are, and they will do it for a cost that is very reasonable, very attractive. Proud to feature them on the John of All Trades podcast. That's four degrees, number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Check out John of All Trades on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. Facebook's the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those are on Monday. New episodes drop on Wednesday, and I'm back here next week another episode where we talk about kids and i promise you this is one you're going to want to hear because it's something that you're familiar with and probably don't know a lot about so stay tuned for that i'll be back here next week and until i hear you then say goodnight Grace. that's good johnny the john of all trades podcast is a part of the denver podcast network in the shadow of the mountains we, we speak, speak.